This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of the Socialism 2022 program. You can hear more recorded sessions from the conference by subscribing to the Socialism Conference podcast feed. Many video recordings are also available at socialismconference.org. If you enjoy these recordings, keep an eye on socialismconference.org for updates about the next Socialism Conference and how you can participate. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. So I don't know what people are expecting exactly from this talk, but I'm going to say a lot of things and I'm looking forward to the discussion because I feel like this is a discussion that's been long coming for, the, for you know people who consider themselves revolutionaries in, in the United States context. And I just wanted to start by explaining why uh, the Tempest Collective felt like this was an important discussion to have at this particular conference, at this particular moment. Um, I think there's always a risk that conversations about revolution can veer towards abstraction. So I want to say as concretely as possible that my main argument is that um, a baseline defense about the need for revolutionary organization, even in the US where it feels really far away. This is not instead of the movements that we're part of, the unions that we're in, the workplace organizing we do, the broad tent political formations we're part of. It's actually a precondition for allowing us to do that work as effectively as possible. And it's the only way that we can build towards a socialist project, an independent class power, and an end to the world system that's driven by the imperatives of the market that's driving humanity and the earth itself into the precipice. Um, I don't know, the the co-panelists, which I'm really excited to hear from, they might find this an odd place to start, um, such a basic starting point uh, for, for a discussion. But in the US over the last number of years, I've seen how necessary it is to reassert in the clearest way very basic principles. Uh, There's very few corners of the left right now in the US where you will find people who will speak confidently on why revolutionary organization is central. Even if many of us have come to feel that the organizational forms that we inherited and grew up with need to be adapted and changed for the moment. But it starts from a basic understanding that horizons matter, that they express themselves in the day-to-day political work we do, and we urgently need more democratic spaces that bring people together who share a basic general sense of politics so that we can debate perspective, strategy, and tactics. This is necessary to win people to revolutionary politics, perspectives, and strategies, but it's also the way that we can most effectively be involved in the broader urgent work um, that every single one of us needs to be involved in outside of a revolutionary organization. Just to give one example, um, DSA is a broad, uh, of how, how this plays out, um, DSA is a broad tent um, that was able to capture and organize, however imperfectly, important elements of the radicalization since 2016. Many members of Tempest, myself included, are members or have been members of DSA. But I think with the second defeat of the Bernie Sanders campaign by the Democratic Party coalition, which involved an attack um, at the state, the media, and the private sector funders level, um, DSA wasn't able to assess and and democratically figure out um, the strategic challenges of that moment. There are questions at play here. What does it mean to build socialism? What does it mean to build power? What is the role of elections? And what is the role of the Democratic Party in particular in the United States? What is it that we're building? What is our horizon? 
And these are the questions that inform our practice and our strategies that I think, um, frankly, DSA has not been able to provide an answer for. Um, there are other meetings this weekend that are going to take up DSA and the strategic outlook of DSA, and I don't want to go into it that much further. It could come up in the discussion, but I do just want to say that over the last couple of years, um, Tempest has tried to use our platform to put forward and develop broader, coherent, uh, broader coherence around a series of strategic debates in DSA. We did this in 20, at the 2021 convention. We did this during the debate about um, Congressman and DSA member Jamal Bowman's votes to fund Zionism, um, and also through local and national activism in DSA. We argued that the tail was wagging the dog. DSA was not electing politicians that were accountable to a vision and a horizon set by a socialist organization. Rather, the majority of the organization's resources were going to get out the vote efforts for people who some, who, some called themselves socialists, some called themselves progressives, but had very little relationship to the actual organization of DSA and ended up being the most visible, most high-profile DSA members who then got to determine DSA's position, despite not being accountable. The Tempest Collective sees ourselves as a product of the weaknesses and the inroads of the last generation of, revolution, uh, that the, of the revolutionary left. This expressed itself very clearly in the failure of smaller revolutionary socialist organizations to relate to and be part of the new radicalization. We are a product of the explosive political openings that exist in the period of, since the world financial crisis of 2008. And these, these um, openings exist everywhere, internationally, on both the left and on the right. This is an international phenomenon, and it is not simply contingent on happenings in the United States or who presidential candidates have been over the last two election cycles. And I'll say more about this in a little bit because I think it's connected to perspectives for the moment. At the founding of the Tempest Collective in the summer of 2020, most of our membership came out of either the International Socialist Organization, which was a, a revolutionary organization that collapsed in 2019, or the organization Solidarity. Two years later, about half of our membership don't come from these organizations. A lot of our new members have politicized more recently through the experience of DSA and through being part of, of other movements and other struggles. Those of us who come from the ISO in solidarity have a ton to say about our experiences on the revolutionary left and the lessons and assessments we've taken from that. But it's been challenging to develop that into a shared balance sheet of lessons. It's also been challenging to bring those together with newer members who don't share that history or speak the same lingo. But I think we're finally starting to embark on the process of being able to develop more of a collective assessment about all that. We're only at the start of it, um, but there's a general consensus, I think, in Tempest that whatever the factors were involved in the life, and in one case, the collapse of these organizations, there's something important happening more generally internationally in terms of the radicalization and the polarization of society that underlines our tasks. And this is where I want to talk a little more about the political moment. Um, Tempest launched our website in early August of 2020. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic had already killed 150,000 people. Um, the murder of George Floyd had just unleashed two months of historic multiracial and anti-racist rebellion. 20 million people took the streets that summer in defense of black bodies and with open abolitionist horizons. Um, it was a movement that implicitly took on the ideological and underpinnings of, of US capital. We saw the natural disaster of COVID and the George Floyd rebellion as just the latest examples of an international multi-sided crisis in the United States. These followed the mass electoral expression of um, Bernie Sanders, the election of Donald Trump, the important but also episodic rise of labor struggles, both wins and losses, 
uh, the, the Wisconsin uprising against right to work, the red teachers, the, the red state teachers revolts, the Occupy movement, but we didn't see these as being a specific U.S. phenomenon. They are part of an international experience that includes the debt crises in Greece and Spain, the rebirth of reformism with the populist face. Um, you could think of Corbyn in, in the UK, Mélenchon in France, Iglesias in Spain, um, the political revolutions and, and also subsequent reactions to them in the Middle East and North Africa, and also the contradictory role of the pink type governments. Um, and I wanted to, I'm going to quote uh, a little bit at length from the launch editorial that we wrote in Tempest, because it goes into these dynamics. The socialist movement in this country has not always been an outside negligible force. For decades of the last century, it was an integral part of working class communities, political politics and struggle. It was the force which built the labor movement, which later helped sustain and, uh, and support civil rights struggles, which ensured that the ruling classes concessions of the New Deal era had to be made and which um, and which opposed decades of bipartisan imperial policies. It was a relentless internationalism and principled opposition to all forms of oppression that made those and other victories possible. The coerced separation of our movement from our class is a wound from the middle of the last century, yet it is a live wound, which makes itself felt broadly in our organizing and in our personal lives. We have been reminded of this wound as long as we can remember. Every time we were forced to pledge allegiance to the imperial flag in our classrooms or in our union halls. We will not win lasting reforms, let alone the defeat of capitalism, until the damage is fully repaired. And then it concluded, if there is a single imperative which drives this project, it is not letting this opportunity be lost. The left must lay the foundations for independent and democratic organizations of self-activity and struggle, and must ensure that these organizations are deeply rooted and organically reflect the work, uh, the reflect and represent the working class. To do this also requires us helping recohere a resurgent revolutionary current. So I want to um, talk a little bit about those wounds. Um, the editorial pointed at the political promise that is the silver lining of, of the growing objective crisis that we face. And this can be seen in the growing audience for radical abolitionist socialist and revolutionary socialist politics. It also points towards a now chronic issue which the left has faced in this country for decades. And that is the historic weakness of, of a class conscious layer of working class fighters, um, sometimes this is called the militant minority, who can be one to socialist politics and outlooks, who could facilitate the development of strong politically independent organizations of, working of the working class and the oppressed. And without such a layer, without those organizations capable of taking on that fight, it's hard to imagine the type of sustained struggle uh, that could overthrow uh, the rule of capital developing. Socialists in the US have not yet figured out how to meet the challenge of that impasse. Not only that, but the organizational expressions of the last generation of revolutionaries' efforts to do so have left a lot to be desired. Attempting to generalize about the international revolutionary left over the neoliberal period is also going to leave something to be desired because I only have 15 minutes. Um, but there are there are, these are hard realities that we have to face. In country after country, organizations have split, the forces of the revolutionary left have weakened, and organizational crisis has been a, a, a dynamic of groups across the world. It's not particular to any one country. I know maybe maybe Ale will say Argentina is a counterpoint, and it, it's an important counterpoint where the revolutionary left actually has had breakthroughs in recent years that I'm excited to hear Ale talk about. But I think even Ale will, will agree that internationally the picture of the revolutionary left is quite weak. 
Um, and I want to lay out three of the challenges that small groups have faced, um, small groups like the one that I came out of, the International Socialist Organization, um, because some of these challenges proved existential, but also for us to be able to build something different, we need to, we need to draw on those lessons and learn from them. Um, I, I don't have time to speak at length to all of these, but I want to at least acknowledge them for more discussion. Um, and I want to be clear that in this part, I'm not talking about any one organization. I'm, I'm actually generalizing from experiences of the revolutionary left internationally. So one, I think, is a misunderstanding of what Leninism is or what is meant by Leninism. Um, I, I actually think Leninism is a pretty rich and adaptive political tradition. We, we can debate that. Um, but I think too often it became defined by a fetishized organizational form, um, which took took the form of like a bureaucratized democratic centralism. Because at heart, I actually think Leninism and democratic centralism is defined by something that actually should be fairly uncontroversial on the socialist left, which is that organizations should have democratic decision making and be able to take centralized action. This notion didn't start with Lenin, um, but this is what came to define the Leninist tradition in, in a, a bizarro form. Um, unity in action often gave way, um, and, and I experienced this, and probably many of us who came from other organizations experienced this, that it gave way to, um, instead of unity in action, it, it became a unity of thought, was expected. Um, the second thing that I wanted to draw out um, is the failure to fully grapple with and digest the dynamics around the politics of gender, sexual violence, and social reproduction. Um, some of this is the unresolved theoretical questions of the feminist movement of the 1970s, but I actually think more of it is um, a relatively new phenomenon because of upheavals and movements in response to the heightened social reproductive burden and the growth of the right. Um, I'm speaking more about this tomorrow on the Lux magazine panel, I'm specifically on that issue, um, so I can't talk more about it. But um, within our organizations, I think some of this experience of grappling with gender violence was, okay, great. Uh, was uh, experienced as a, as a political opening that was never fully digested within the organization as a whole, which made it much harder to address the political crisis around how you deal with these things when they come up in your own organization. Um, if there's no common framework for how you respond to sexual violence, it becomes very difficult to ever be able to respond to it. Um, for other organizations, I think there's been an effort to reject the need of any reckoning with these questions at all, like dubbing them about identity politics and, and nothing, nothing to see here. Um, the third thing I want to say comes back to the point I was making about the militant minority, like the failure to fully grapple with the problem, which David McNally has, has written about and spoken about for Tempest, also following Hal Draper and Duncan Hallis, who were revolutionaries from a previous generation. Um, the challenge of the lack of an actual working class vanguard um, in much of the world, and how do you build revolutionary organization when the starting point has to be the possibility of that vanguard as opposed to its power and its ability to change things. And I think this is intimately tied to how we understand our goals and how we build a non in a non-sectarian manner and with a, a modesty about what we represent and what we don't yet represent. So I wanna, perfect. Um, I wanna end um, by <laughs> what we all do when we, we expect debate is to clarify what I am not saying. Um, Whatever the challenges represented by the problem that we face uh, of not having a working class vanguard, we need subjective revolutionaries to come together and be organized together in revolutionary formations. Within Tempest, um, there's a, a high degree of agreement around these questions of, of how we understand socialism. You could check out tempestmag.org to read more and to get a better sense of what we, what our, our kind of horizons. Um, but we, we believe in the need for revolutionaries to be organized together 
not instead of participating in broader political work, but because that broader political work relies us to be organized and to be figuring these things out together. Organizing with small groups of people is not the same thing as being a sectarian. Those things can have overlap, they're not definitionally overlapping. Um, and um, on the flip side, it's also not about privileging small group life over the prioritization of building broader formations. We believe that the left is healthier with a broader and health, a broader and bigger and you know contested socialist milieu. We welcome that and we defend it. We think it's a mistake to reject with a single stroke the broad party experiences that have defined um, the the political moment we're in. And um, I'll just end by saying that Tempest has felt the weight of the COVID moment a lot. The absence of in-person gatherings like this conference that we're finally having after two years um, and in-person organizing on a local, the lack of in-person organizing on a local level has been a serious obstacle. Um, due to COVID, a lot of the organizing of the left has necessarily been limited to an online form. And while this is important, it can also be very limiting and very self-selecting. Um, especially with the challenges we face in the US, um, we see the, the urgent need to build local collectives as a critical next step for being able to develop from where we are to where we're going. Um, and I'll just finish by saying very clearly that Tempest has not figured it all out. We do not have the answers, but we do have a shared set of principles um, and we do have a horizon and we think horizons are important. Um, and maybe the fact that it's not fully baked sounds like a downside, but to me it's a strength. Um, it's a recognition that we are trying to learn to do something different in a different time, that there are no easy answers. Um, but if you would like to be part of the process of figuring these things out together, we invite you to join Tempest to discuss with us, but also we're all building this left together. We're going to figure it out together. And I am so happy uh, to be here with you all and to have the discussion. And comrades here can find the Tempest table outside of Haymarket and there's a meetup tomorrow night at 9 on the patio. Um, our next speaker is going to be joining us from Barcelona via Zoom, the magic of the interwebs. Um, Andrew Cole is a history teacher in Barcelona. He's a member of the Fourth International, the Bureau of the Fourth International. He's a militant of Anticapitalistas, and he collaborates on the review Viento Sur and um, one of the founders of Salon uh, Editorial. And Andrew is gonna, gonna speak to us from Barcelona. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, how are you? Uh, uh, let me send uh, our greetings from, from anti-capitalistas and also from the leadership of Fourth International. Um, and uh, we must say that uh, we follow uh, very much your, your tasks in the US. Um, and um, just uh, a few ideas, just a presentation of, of the, uh, the ideas I want to develop, which are very close to the ones of my predecessor in the, in the previous intervention. Um, um, I would like more broadly not only talk about the anti-capitalistas uh, experience in Bolognese, but also more in general of, of other uh, experiences of our uh, political current, in, uh, especially in European in the European uh, arena. Um, uh, in the meantime, I, I would like to make some historical references too, because to pose the question of revolutionary organisations is obviously is. Uh, evolved uh, dramatically due to uh, major historical changes. So in our, in our political current, in, in, as you know, in, uh, uh, we, we, we played a, an important role after 
1968 in, in Europe especially. And uh, this was after a long period of, of what we call the time entryist uh, experiences in major Stalinist and social democratic parties. And um, where mm, the key role was to link up to new radicalizations coming from society with the anti-colonial revolutions or or the uh, uh, anti-Stalinist struggles of labor movements in Eastern countries and so on. And, and in, this, in this context, of course, uh, what we call the, the years of hurried Leninism, our approach to the party building obviously was very different to, to it was nowadays after May 6, June 68. Our main concern was to link up to the new vanguards emerging from students' movements, uh, guerrilla warfare in Latin America, uh, radicalization, uh, radicalization of important layers of working class, in the, especially in southern countries of Europe, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, etc. And I must say that uh, obviously our, our role in France was capital in terms of um, uh, developing a strategic uh, and organizational approach to party building. Of course, the French LCR played an important role at the time. Um, so. Um, our, our view at the time was um, to uh, put um, a central um, concern on um, studying Lenin's thought of the times of politics, the autonomy of the political sphere, and uh, the party's strategic actor able to explore the potential of certain historical events and movements. And this was key uh, in, in our in my view, to, to, to have the ability to, to be more resilient than other currents in the, in the new left. I think that the combined effects of suffocating sort of Marxist-Leninist uh, dogmatism in the communist backgrounds, the neo-centrist uh, uh, view of, of the critical communist currents, and the neo-Stalinist uh, revival of Maoist currents, of course, didn't help to develop a, a critical assessment of Lenin from this point of view. And uh, obviously, the, the more eclectic sources of, of other traditions of the New Left sometimes tended to disregard Lenin's key contribution on, on the issue of party building and the relation to labor movement. So I must point out that for us, it was very important, especially the developments of comrades of the Alcyon Front, especially Daniel Ben Said, uh, who uh, actually developed a very interesting uh, study on on Lenin and, and more generally uh, the revolutionary strategy debates after May June 68. So um, I think this was useful to to, um, to have more better responsibilities, better better links to trade unions, and also helped us to avoid uh, slipping into militaristic deviations that were quite common at the time, especially in Italy or Germany, as you know. Um, so our understanding of, of the political sphere. Um, and its autonomy also helped us to be aware of the key role of youth in, in, uh, in those years as a tactical vanguard, as we, as we call it at the time, to be able to trigger major political crises, but also the importance of internationalist solidarity and the politicization of broad, broader vanguards of the time. The national question, this complex relation to past struggle, the importance of specific oppressions based on gender, race, religion, in short, um, although stressing the structural uh, structure and role of class capital antagonisms, we avoided wipe, uh, whipping out all the specific oppressions in you know, a workerist, trade unionist, freedom populist mentality. 
In the meantime, our tra uh, tradition of Marxist economic analysis, boosted by Ernest Mandel's studies on neocapitalism at the time, was key to understand the persistence of, of an anti-capitalist potential of working class in the imperialist countries, unlike other tendencies of the new left of the time that, as you know, focused were focusing their search for revolutionary potential on the margins, so to say. So, in the uh, from the 90s onwards, the collapse of the Soviet Union and, and so on, and the crisis of, of broad uh, labor movement, uh, we, we had this formulation, new epoch, new program, new parties. So, the implosion of the Eastern Bloc, uh, the so-called crisis of Marxism, weakening of, of the CPs and social democracy, neoliberal offensive, um, and uh, the end of the private forces of the revolution, um, on the one hand, uh, was the new uh, framework in which we had to develop our political work. The new program was of the need to deepen our understanding of what had happened in the East, the capitalist restoration and, and its implications, the growing centrality of, the, of our reflection on the issue of socialist democracy, the loss of credibility of socialist horizon at the mass objective level, which is still prevailing, unfortunately, nowadays, the integration of the ecological outlook into our revolution Marxist program, the key role of women in LGBTQ liberation, etc. And new parties in a dramatically defensive situation and the attack of neoliberalism and the weakening of the global movement, um, uh, we thought that it was absolutely key to work on the idea of rebuilding um, um, class struggle parties useful to re uh, reorient uh, and re rebuild labor movement as a whole. Uh, I think these are the same, uh, the main concerns that drove us uh, to, to launch, uh, launch new political experiences. I'll just refer to the uh, major ones in which we had uh, uh, some kind of uh, important role as, as a current. Obviously, you know, uh, the experience of the Comité Comunista and all its limits, but I think it was, in, it was indispensable uh, for our political work in, in Italy at the time, after the collapse of the, of the Communist Party. The left bloc in Portugal, as you know, um, uh, since the early 2000s. The Red Green Alliance in, uh, in um, uh, Denmark. The NPA in France, which, which has been um, uh, difficult, a very difficult experience. So I think all, this is the framework in which uh, we try to work uh, to build uh, a new political uh, actor here in the Spanish state after the implosion of the crisis in 2008, because there was a combination of, of factors, mainly uh, the particularly uh, dire crisis, economic crisis in Spain, the regime crisis, the monarchy, the main political parties, the judiciary, and the national question, as you know, and obviously the explosion of the indignados and the new radicalization of the youth. So the idea was to build a new uh, part li uh, party linked to the new generations and their political experiences. As you know, eventually in Podemos there was a sort of three political souls, one linked to Iglesias, uh, which had, had a Euro-communist, so to say, background, a populist one, a reform very influenced by Latin American experiences, and the anti-capitalist one, which was mainly embodied by our comrades. Um, our main battle was to keep the nature of Podemos as a uh, movement party and put the uh, 
stress the importance of ex-parliamentary organising and centrality and the renewal of, of labour and social movements as a whole. Um, our radical position was defeated, we must admit, um, because there was, a, from the beginning, a lack of internal democracy, a Bonapartist leadership method, and uh, our own errors, we must admit. Uh, we, the lack of uh, communicative uh, capacity that others had, like, such as Paulo Erecon, Paulo Iglesias Erecon, um, was, was key in our, in our people, we must admit. Um, but our central uh, strategic limitation was the independence from social liberal parties, uh, notably the PSOE, of course, and governments. And uh, we had obviously developed as a current anti-capitalist as a, a critical balance sheet of, of the series and Tsipras government which obviously had a, a, a great impact on the Spanish uh, situation. Uh, this also led uh, further to the right, the leadership around Iglesias, and as you know, this led them to join the current uh, Santa government, where they are obliged to adapt totally to the status quo, uh, status quo and uh, um, this opens the way, unfortunately, to the far right also in the Spanish uh, scenario. Nevertheless, Podemos experience renewed, uh, in my view, and reinforced anti-capitalistas as a political organization, uh, and also um, reinforced our, our organizational capacity, and especially our links to broad layers of, of popular classes. And um, we, we must admit that we survived because we always uh, struggled to maintain an independent revolutionary organization with strong strategic references and cater education agenda. But in the meantime, we, I think we were able to address new activists that didn't necessarily share our background and political tradition. I think this is a key element. And just to conclude, I think that despite errors and weaknesses uh, as anti-capitalists and more broadly as, as a fourth international, we've had uh, the ability to, to have an open approach to new struggles and, and demands and the need to relate to new uh, movements that have sparse ties to organized labor movement and uh, cultural and programmatic references of the left, uh, such as many revolts that have uh, appeared since the Arab Spring, uh, the Navos occupied the US, of course, but recent explosions like uh, the ones in Ecuador, Chile, uh, Colombia, Poland, Russia, and so on. So I think we've been able to avoid uh, any ultimatist uh, attitudes and red teacher poses. And finally, uh, we've, uh, we can say we, to, to a certain extent we, we're proud to, to be able to maintain a leadership at an international level, not only at a national level, uh, built around teamwork, the plural composition, national gender, age and sensibility terms. I think that this has been key to avoid some of the problems that crisis that hit other tendencies of, of the far left uh, internationally. In this sense, uh, resolutions like witness liberation and socialist revolution also contributed to advance feminization of the current and to improve dynamics in our bodies and to avoid, to a great extent, the worst conflicts uh, that have exploded in, in other organizations um, that tended to neglect the key dimension of women's liberation and transition to socialism. And the same can be said by uh, the intervention of the IQ demands and struggles since the late uh, 70s and 80s, uh, early 80s. So thanks very much. Uh
some translation help from our comrade Luis. Um, and Alejandro Bodar is um, here from Argentina. He is a leader of the MST and uh, part of the FEET, the Left Unity Front member. Go ahead, Alejandro. We'll give him a little extra time for the translation. Y podríamos dar una larga lista 
Eh, sin embargo, eh, también ha quedado demostrado por todo es, en, en todos esos procesos es que sin dirección revolucionaria al frente, esas grandes gestas logran o mínimos avances que rápidamente después se pierden, se estancan los procesos más avanzados, se retroceden o directamente son derrotadas. So in this new century we have seen uh, growing rebellions and revolutions across the world, most recently in Sri Lanka, but we saw Colombia, Chile, Lebanon, different parts of the world. Uh, but one conclusion that we can take from all of these rebellions and, re and, and revolutions that we have been seeing is that in the absence of a revolutionary leadership, these processes that are massive, etc., but cannot uh, go beyond some small gains, small reforms, or even go uh, end up going back. So the, the question of the need for revolutionary leadership is, is one of the, the essential questions. Por eso, el debate más importante que tenemos los que queremos cambiar el mundo es cómo hacemos para construir esas direcciones revolucionarias, porque es evidente que en los últimos 100 años ha habido infinidad de intentos y no hemos logrado construir direcciones revolucionarias de masas. Y el problema que tenemos en esta etapa histórica es que objetivamente, objetivamente, la crisis del capitalismo va a volver a poner en la orden del día el problema del poder. Y si no solucionamos esto, el problema de la dirección, está planteado ese retroceso, ese salto de calidad en la crisis y que bueno, entiendo que todo lo que estamos acá queremos evitarlo. Por eso el debate tiene que ser abierto, amplio, sin dogmas, tratando de entre todos escucharnos. Nadie tiene la verdad revelada, por lo tanto hace falta un trabajo colectivo. So the, the most important debate that revolutionaries face uh, at present is how is the, the answer to the question of how do we build this revolutionary leadership that is lacking? Because there have been many attempts over the last hundred years to build this, uh, this revolutionary organization, the revolutionary leadership, but uh, they, they have not yet been successful. So, the, and this is, uh, becomes more acute because in the present moment of the capitalist crisis, uh, the capitalist crisis objectively uh, creates a situation in which the, the, this, there will be recurring situations of a crisis, of, of mobilization, of revolutions, etc. But it, it can also lead, if we do not solve this issue of the revolutionary organization and leadership, it can also lead to a qualitative leap towards a, what we were saying before, extinction, etc. So that is why we have to be able to give this debate with a broad debate without sectarianism, without a dogmatism, and to be able to bring this, this issue to the fore. Y algo muy importante que es animarnos a ser críticos de nuestro propio pasado y no tratar de ver el problema en el ojo ajeno, sino empezar por verlo en nosotros mismos, porque todos, en particular, nosotros hace muchos años que estamos en esto, yo, yo desde mi adolescencia, por lo tanto, y creo que acá hay muchos compañeros así, hay camadas jóvenes, pero bueno, tenemos que tener la, la capacidad. Ser revolucionario es, para mí, tener eh, la valentía de revolucionarse a sí mismo. Si no, si no cambiamos nosotros, no podemos convencer a la gente que cambie y que se haga revolucionaria. 
yo creo que una primera reflexión, yo no creo ya después de muchos años de intentos de que se pueda construir una dirección revolucionaria a nivel de un país. Creo que todo, todo intento de construir una dirección revolucionaria en el marco de un país va a llevar al fracaso. No hay ninguna posibilidad de tener la capacidad, la capacidad para poder enfrentar los problemas que están planteados sin un trabajo colectivo con los cuadros que están desparramados en el mundo y que tienen una acumulación de experiencia muy importante, pero que solos nadie tiene la capacidad de resolver los problemas. Si no hay una organización internacional que junte a los cuadros de los distintos países y de los distintos procesos, es muy difícil construir organizaciones de masas en un solo país. Yo creo que este es un problema importante y que no, no lo tenemos bien asumidos entre nosotros. So one of the first uh, questions is, uh, in order to be able to, to, to engage in this debate, is to, to have the bravery to be critical of ourselves. Uh, we have to be critical of our own path. Uh, many of us have been doing this uh, for many years. Uh, in the case of Alejandro, just since his teenage years, so so uh, it's been a long time. There are also new comrades uh, that, 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 as we can see here, that are They are uh, engaging in, in, in building revolutionary organization. But we have to be uh, critical. To be revolutionary is to be brave enough to revolutionize oneself. So uh, the first uh, element that, uh, that, that you bring is the question that this cannot be solved within the boundaries of a single national organization. It is not possible to, to solve this problem within one country. Because the, the, the cadre that are a uh, That, that, that have different experiences are dispersed around the world. The country that could build a, a, a revolutionary organization, and it also requires a collective debates with all of these comrades that are in different parts of the world. So, it, there is nobody in one single, uh, no, no single organization at a national level can have uh, the, the, the attraction to solve this situation on its own. So it requires the need for revolutionary organization in order for international organization in order to, to solve this, this, this question. Hace falta que podamos discutir y balancear las experiencias nacionales, sacar conclusiones de esas experiencias y poder en el marco de esas conclusiones poder actuar mejor en otros países. El internacionalismo para mí se ha transformado en una cuestión fundamental. O, o avanzamos hacia un nuevo internacionalismo, o yo soy escéptico de que se pueda resolver el problema del poder a nivel de un país. So we have to be able to debate different national experiences within an international eh, current organization. Eh, the question of internationalism has become Uh, such an essential thing that it, it cannot, it, 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 he's, uh, he's a skeptic about the possibility of solving the question of power if we don't before solve the question of international organization, if it is not with a perspective, with an internationalist perspective. Ahora, yo creo que hace falta hacer un balance de las organizaciones internacionales, porque también han fracasado las experiencias internacionales. O sea, si queremos resolver el problema de un, de un internacional o de un agrupamiento internacional, hay que ir a algún agrupamiento de nuevo tipo, sacando conclusiones de las cosas que se han hecho mal. 
Y en ese sentido, yo, o sea, yo creo que el modelo de internacional, de organización internacional, que surgió a partir de la Segunda Guerra Mundial para acá, ha fracasado. Ese modelo partía de un partido se desarrollaba un poco más que el resto y creaba un internacional a su alrededor y trasladaba mecánicamente conclusiones de ese partido, que era el partido madre, al resto de las organizaciones satélites que se nucleaban. Ese tipo de organización ha fracasado completamente, porque no solo llevó a errores políticos, porque no se puede trasladar mecánicamente desde un país, desde un partido, línea que, se, que, que, que trascienda en ese país, sino también porque la única forma de hacerlo es con un método burocrático. Ojo, el fortalecimiento del estalinismo desde la Segunda Guerra Mundial para acá hizo que es, las organizaciones internacionales se protegieran y por esa vía fueran adquiriendo un método que muchas veces fue burocrático, cerrado, centralista para eso. Pero también yo creo que mamaron del estalinismo y trasladaron al interior métodos que no tenían nada que ver con el bolchevismo, sino con su etapa de degeneración. Todo eso es lo que ha llevado a que exploten todas esas organizaciones y la que no explotó todavía va a explotar, porque es una ley que se está cumpliendo en todos lados. So we, in order to do this discussion, we have to also build a balance sheet of uh, the, the international organizations that have existed. Uh, and uh, in this sense, uh, if we look at all the organizations that uh, that have existed uh, in the post in the post Second World War, World War period, all of the international organizations that have existed were based on a specific model that has failed. That specific model was one national organization in one country that grew a bit more than the rest, and from there attempted to build international an international current. City, trying to say from one country to all of the rest, how to all the organizations of all of the rest, what they had to do. So in a sense, it was a, mo a model of what we call sort of like a mother party that has some satellites and tells them what what uh, what to do. And this has led uh, this has failed for two reasons. First, because it leads to political errors because you cannot translate mechanically the situation in one country to what is happening in the concrete conjunctures in all of the rest of the. Uh, Places. And the second is that the only way you know, uh, to, to, to transmit mechanically these political conclusions is to become bureaucratic and to impose them from a center. So this combination of mechanics, me, me, trans, translating mechanical the politics of one country to the other and doing it bureaucratically has led to the failure of this model. That is why we, we say that we need organization, international organizations of a new type. Yo creo que la, el internacionalismo que necesitamos pasa por animarnos a construir junto a otras tradiciones, a distintas tradiciones del movimiento revolucionario. Porque todos hemos sido, sido parte de una tradición, los que venimos desde hace mucho tiempo trabajando en esto. Ahora, se han ha mostrado los límites de cada una de nuestras tradiciones y a su vez tenemos virtudes. Pero solamente si nos animamos a trabajar entre distintas tradiciones, vamos a poder lograr transmitir virtudes y a su vez incorporar otras virtudes, sacarnos de encima los problemas. Ahora, esto es fácil decirlo, pero es difícil hacerlo, porque tenemos muy arraigadas las tradiciones 
en, el en cada uno de los sectores del movimiento revolucionario. Ahora, yo creo que tenemos que hacer un esfuerzo tremendo por, por la época que nos toca vivir, de intentar hacer ese esfuerzo. Yo creo que necesitamos una organización revolucionaria donde se pueda discutir, donde se pueda elaborar colectivamente, donde se pueda balancear, donde se pueda romper con los dogmatismos que cada uno de nosotros, incluso los que decimos que no tenemos dogma, traemos al debate para, entre todos, y, un, y después de un periodo donde se logre cierta confianza, poder realmente reconstruir un movimiento revolucionario a nivel internacional que ayude a los países y no que termine trasladando a los países problemas más que soluciones, que es lo que nos ha pasado. So this new type of organization has to be built, bringing together different traditions that have developed throughout of, uh, of throughout all of this period. We all of us, most of us, come from different uh, political revolutionary traditions, and all of them have uh, good things uh, and and bad things, and all of them have problems, uh, and all of them have uh, even the ones that say that they don't have problems, they also have problems. So. It, We come from different traditions, but we have to uh, make an effort to try to bring them together um, in order to uh, to build uh, this type of this new type of organization. And this is easier said than done, of course. Uh, but in order, but we have to make an effort for this. And in order to do it, it there is a need for collective debates, for democratic uh, and collective elaboration, uh, to breaking with, with with dogmatism, and because this is the only way in which these organizations. Will not build. Uh, will be able to rebuild trust between different uh, organizations and not uh, bring again the mistakes of the past that that we have already spoken about. Como como me queda poco tiempo quería hacer una, algún un par de reflexiones más. Eh, yo creo que eh, vivimos en un mundo cada vez más polarizado, donde es evidente que uno de los fenómenos de esa polarización es el crecimiento no solo de las derechas, sino de la extrema derecha. Eh, ahora, yo creo que en mucho, muchas veces, muchas veces esos espacios crecen por los fracasos de algunas de las experiencias hacia la izquierda que han traído primero entusiasmo y después decepción en el movimiento de masas. Eh, yo creo que por eso es, es, no le tenemos que echar la culpa al movimiento de masa, sino muchas veces le tenemos, tenemos que trabajar y saber que muchas veces el movimiento de masa va hacia un lado o hacia el otro porque no le podemos presentar una alternativa y cuando le presentamos una alternativa y fracasa, eso genera fenómenos distintos. Sigue habiendo espacio para la izquierda, yo creo que la izquierda tiene espacio y dentro de la izquierda para la izquierda revolucionaria, pero tenemos que discutir algunas cosas. Ha surgido en en lo que va del siglo, distintas experiencias. Nacionalismos de izquierda, como el chavismo en Latinoamérica, partidos amplios se transformaron en un determinado momento en expresiones del ascenso, yo creo que estamos en otro momento ahora, ya no en el de los partidos amplios, sino el de la crisis de los partidos amplios, por lo tanto, tampoco nos podemos seguir atando esquemas, hay que ver si es por ahí o viene otra cosa. La izquierda respondió mal en general a los partidos amplios, un sector respondió con sectarismo, los negó completamente y se aisló del movimiento de masas. Eso pasó en Venezuela, 
pasó en todos lados. Yo, por ejemplo, creo que en la propia crisis de la ISO, me meto un poquito, uno de los elementos fue una respuesta mala también que se le dio en su momento. Yo vine acá a una conferencia donde sectores de la base planteaban que había que tener una política hacia el TCA y la dirección estaba cerrada en que no, 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 casi ninguna política. Pero bueno, pero no fue solo en Estados Unidos. Max respondió, un sector izquierdo respondió con sectarismo. Pero hubo otro sector que se metió adentro y también respondió mal. Tuvo una actitud correcta entrar para tratar de intervenir, pero empezó a confundir una estrategia. Todos los partidos amplios tienen fecha de vencimiento, porque partidos con reformistas, incluso cuando haya revolucionarios y reformistas, hay que saber que no está planteado para los revolucionarios ganar la dirección de esos partidos. Porque si en algún momento tenemos el peso suficiente, los reformistas van a romper. Y si pasa lo opuesto, en algún momento los reformistas terminan dominando todo y los revolucionarios tenemos que romper. No es eterno ni es una estrategia el Partido Amplio. Hubo sectores de la izquierda que creyeron que la estrategia era esa y que por lo tanto era secundario construir partidos revolucionarios. Algunos se disolvieron, como en el NPA, por ejemplo. Graso error, porque degeneró completamente el NPA. Otros no se disolvieron, pero dejaron de construir partidos revolucionarios con la fuerza que había. Esos partidos sirven si uno los aprovecha para construir y fortalecer partidos revolucionarios, sabiendo que en algún momento esa experiencia se va a acabar. So, uh, it's not, it's not time, but, uh, a couple of more pieces. Uh, one is that we are living in a moment uh, of polarization. This means that uh, we, have, we are seeing uh, internationally uh, the expressions of the right and of the extreme right, the emergence of expressions of the right and the extreme right. And, uh, but it's important to, to, to try to analyze that uh, in many cases these experiences grow because of the failures of the, of the left that at, at one point enthu uh, made, uh, became enthusiastic and brought a lot of people in and, and then generated disappointments. And that uh, cycle of enthusiasm and disappointment is what, it was, is, is what led to the rise of the, of the right and the extreme right. So we cannot blame the mass movement as saying, no, the mass movement became right, the, the, the masses turned to the right. No, what we have to say is that, we, that the left could not offer the proper organizations and therefore that led to the process of disappointment uh, that, that, that generated this, the, the rise of the right and the extreme right. So they, there have been, and there was this, we say this because there, there were specific experiences during the last period uh, towards the left. Uh, uh, for example, in Latin America, there was a rise of a sort of left nationalism, as the case of, of, of Chavez, for example, in Venezuela. And also in, in different parts of the world, there were the broad party experiences, which were parties that brought together uh, revolutionaries and reformist sectors. And we think that in, in, in these emerging experiences, part of the revolutionary left, there were two mistaken approaches that taken by parts of the revolutionary left. Uh, a section of the revolutionary left saw the emergence of these new uh, phenomena, uh, that I have said, as poor parties, etc., that uh, and a segment of the, of the revolutionary left saw them, uh, responded with sectarianism, saw them as a problem and did not engage with them, did not have a, a policy for them. We saw that in Venezuela, in different parts of the world, here, uh, and, and I, uh, we got a bit, uh, an opinion from, from the outside, but uh, with, the, with the crisis of the ISO, 
for example, was the emergence of, of these new formations and the ISO could not respond to, to, that, to that situation. Alejandro was saying that he was here in, a, in a, one of the last conventions of the, of the ISO where these things were being, uh, were being debated. Uh, and there was, that was one, a sectarian response. And then there was a, 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 another response which was also mistaken, that was to participate in those movements but to abandon the revolutionary strategy. And in that, that led to the dissolution within those experiences. For example, uh, in the case of the NPA, in which the, the, the revolutionaries that were dissolved within the, 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 the NPA. And this is a problem because it, it, it overlooks a fundamental fact, that is that the broad parties have limits. And that, the, and that these broad parties, the, the limitations of the broad parties are a part of their nature because they are uh, organizations that bring together reformists and revolutionaries. So if they have attention within those two sections. So if the reformists get too big, eventually they will kick out the revolutionaries. And if the revolutionaries get too big, eventually the reformists will leave. So what we have to know is that these formations are transitional formations. And we have to be able to use those transitional formations to build revolutionary organizations. Not being sectarian with the transitional formations, but also not in, in never forgetting that they have uh, an expiring date, like me or whatever. They, they expire. At some point, these uh, organizations expire. So we have to build a, a revolutionary organizations. Bueno, y para terminar, porque se me acabó el tiempo a los dos, eh, simplemente que en Argentina estamos construyendo un frente, el frente de izquierda de los trabajadores, que tiene una particularidad única, creo yo. No hay reformistas por ahora al interior, sino que somos distintas organizaciones que tenemos una estrategia insurreccional, no electoral. Eh, eso lo hace distinto, pero ojo, yo termino con esto. Hay muchos problemas en ese frente, muchos problemas. Hay elementos de sectarismo, hay elementos de oportunismo, hay guerra, guerra innecesaria entre los distintos componentes, muchas veces más guerra interna que externa, o sea, sería para discutirlo. Lo que sí ha facilitado que la izquierda revolucionaria se fortalezca en este periodo, en su poder de organización, de movilización, y creo que es una experiencia como tantas otras, ¿no es cierto?, que hay que analizarla, balancearla, no se puede exportar, como hacen algunos compañeros del propio Frente que creen que eso es lo que hay que hacer en otro lado. Cada realidad es distinta, no se la puede contraponer, pero creo que es una experiencia más útil al movimiento revolucionario, a ese, a ese internacionalismo nuevo al que tenemos que ir, que lo tendría que discutir, debatir, balancear y ayudar a que se saque de encima los errores y se pueda seguir aportando. Yo nada más porque quizás se me fue el tiempo. Gracias por, por aguantarnos. Argentina. Uh, in Argentina, there is the, the, the left front, uh, which is the left unity front, which is uh, has a specific char characteristic that is different from other parts of the world because it is um, it is only composed by revolutionary organizations. There there are no reformist uh, uh, sectors. All of the organizations are uh, uh, have an insurrectional strategy, not an electoral strategy, etc. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have problems. It has many problems. Uh, uh, amongst them, there are, of course, sectarian positions, uh, sometimes opportunist positions. And also, there's a, a lot of internal uh, warfare, <laughs> internal uh, conflict, the debates and everything. 
Uh, so it's not a perfect example. It's not a, 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 the, the, the only the only possibility. Uh, it has helped to build the revolutionary left in Argentina. It has contributed to build the revolutionary left. But it's also not an experience that is made for export. It's not that we are saying this is the way to go in every in all the parts of the world because, as we have said before, different parts of the world have different specific uh, uh, situations. But it is one more experience that we want to bring because we think that the international revolutionary left also has to debate to also help the left front be better. Uh, so this uh, and, and how do we find the, the uh, amongst other experiences? How do we find the ways to lead revolutionary fights? That's it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.